0: Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking about 2000's Boiler Room, which means I'm trading stocks up in here with Adam Risky. You don't think I'm happy that we're doing a podcast on Boiler Room?
1: Look at the goddamn smile on my face
0: <laughs> ear to ear baby ear to ear baby affleck is such a heavy in this movie
1: yeah he's he's got the
0: gravitas role yeah yeah pretty early in his career too he had a did he have three movies this year because he had reindeer games and bounce right right yeah Affleck had a busy two thousand.
1: As Marvin Schwarz would say, he was building up his bona (laughs) fide. What
0: a picture. (laughs) What a picture. What a picture.
1: (laughs) I just rewatched that again last night. I've watched it like two or three times this year. And this was the first time where I'm like, oh, what they were going through in the late 60s with cinema. It's like what's happening now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Right.
1: So watching it under that lens was interesting and then it's like oh once upon a time Inti- once upon a time in Hollywood was like the last
0: real movie maybe and now we're in this new thing. Yeah. Um I, yeah, I guess we should talk about what are your feelings about this news about Warner Brothers moving its entire 2021 slate to HBO Max. I'm
1: cautiously
0: optimistic about it. Like selfishly I'm just happy that
1: I'll have you know, movies of some scale kind of coming out next year, sort of guaranteed. Yeah. Um because this year's been tough from like I was thinking back, I'm just like, man, what action movies came out? And it's basically bad boys and birds of prey and that's it. And like Uh, extraction. That doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) Um so like I'm excited about having movies with budget and I can watch them at home and watch them safely and stuff. And Throughout the course of the year, I've realized that it means more to me about like seeing a movie right away than seeing a movie in a movie theater. And it was like, that's, I would go to the movie theater because that's where the movie was. Right. Um, But I do hope that, and who knows how many theaters will be left when all this is over, but I, I do hope that they find a way to curate or like treat things sort of like Alamo Draft House does where it's more like special events because there's going to be fewer theaters because I think there's an opportunity for them to change their business model a little bit to make mm-hmm. it more mm-hmm. attractive. Cause the thing that was bumming me out about movie going before the pandemic was just like how homo- homogenized, um, AMC and like Regal was like every theater looked like the same theater and it made the experience feel like going to target it just wasn't very special.
0: Going to Target is very special for me.
1: I take it back. I It was like going to Coles.
0: There we go. All now right. your analogy makes sense. All
1: right. Sorry.
0: I'm excited that I won't have to wait for Dune.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, There's some stuff coming up that I really want to see that I'm looking forward to. It's weird because... I feel like when all these movies were coming out, we were like, man, movies all seem the same. And then we go without them for a year. And then it's like, bring back those movies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. We'll see what happens. uh,
1: Yeah, it will be kind of weird to see like the Matrix 4 on Mm -hmm. my TV or like, yeah, Dune or whatever. I I hope that, um, I know that they said that they were pushing back Mortal Kombat, which was supposed to come out January 15th. But if that comes out in January, I'd be pretty happy.
0: I didn't even know they were making a new Mortal Kombat.
1: Yeah, James Wan's, like, one of the producers on it. So, and um, what's his name? Uh, I forgot what his name is, but from the raid is going to be in it. Not Eco-Aways, but the the second guy.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it should Uh, be fun. Sure. I have no connection to the video game or to the original movie, and I never saw Mortal Kombat Annihilation, so... Mm-hmm. I'm pretty indifferent.
1: I was in Mortal Kombat, the video game. Um I fought under my Hebrew name Hershel Spee.
0: <laughs> Very nice. Uh, um, anyway, we'll have to wait and see. That's the big news that shook up the movie industry this week. So we'll see how this all plays out. But uh before we get talking about Boiler Room, Adam, have you seen anything good lately? Yeah, I've been,
1: because it's end of year, I've been catching up on a lot of stuff, Um, so I watched
0: uh, Freaky. Did you watch Freaky? Not yet. We had to make a choice um, the last two nights about whether... We're going to watch Freaky, but it was like other stuff we prioritized and wanted to watch before we watched Freaky, but I'm definitely going to watch it.
1: Got it. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty good. I wasn't the... I I was kind of like lukewarm on happy death day and happy death day to to you or whatever it was called. Um, I thought like they were kind of missed opportunities as horror movies and they were just sort of okay as comedies more or less. Um, But this one, like at least Christopher Landon like took the horror stuff more seriously. And like a lot of the gore gags are pretty impressive. Like you could tell that they put a lot of effort in it and, and everything so I liked it from that regard it's still sort of like too cute by half like his other movies are which sort of works sometimes but sort of you know when it's not funny it can be kind of grating right. but um but Vince Vaughn's really good in it and um he sort of has kind of like the heaviness of um like his parts in the uh what's what's that guy's name uh the brawn Sublock block 99 and, S. craig uh, zeller s craig Zoller. he still kind of has that heaviness to him but then like when he does the comedy parts he's not doing motor mouth vince vaughn he's doing something kind of quieter which is sort of better and i think the performance is really strong so i i, I thought it was overall pretty decent i'm excited to see it yeah and i watched um, first cow which i've been putting off for months but it keeps <laughs> following me
0: i will continue to put it off <laughs>
1: um i never will seek out a kelly reichert movie but then like when i do watch one of her movies like this or wendy and lucy or meek's cutoff like i do like them she's kind of like the oregon trail tour yeah right <laughs> and, um i'm glad i saw it like it's very small scale and i enjoyed the story i thought the story was interesting um the two lead performances are good it's uh n- yeah not gonna like make my best of the year lists or anything like that but it was enjoyable it was about as good as her other stuff so um, i would recommend that if you're a fan of her work
0: i've only i've her not winner. seen wendy and lucy i've only seen meek's cut off and i don't remember it that well i remember michelle yeah. williams being in it but i don't remember the movie all that well
1: yeah, she's in a bunch of her stuff. Yeah. Um, Wendy and Lucy's good. She's. Uh, Will Patton's in that. And oh, well. Will Patton is good. No, and he plays like a garage mechanic, and it's like, yeah, Will Patton is a garage mechanic.
0: <laughs> like a sensitive garage mechanic? Of course. Uh, yeah. See, I like yeah. this. He's like, I think you need an oil change.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. And then I watched Run, which oh, yeah. I didn't know until late, or until recently was the follow up for Anish Shanti of uh, Searching, which yeah. I really, really liked. And I like this one too. Um, it's really suspenseful. I thought that the um, the woman who played the daughter, Kira Allen, was really good. But then, like especially after. She starts doing like the physicality parts of the performance. I right. kept getting like Kill Bill Volume 1 vibes, like, when, <laughs> and she looks like Uma Thurman a little bit, so like I couldn't get that out of my head that this was like Minnie the Bride. Um, <laughs> so that that upped the enjoyment level of the movie a bit for me. Um, but I gotta say, like Sarah Paulson really stresses me out, and this is not a movie where she takes a break. She's definitely in Marsha Gay Harden in the Mist territory for me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I kind of knew the twist going into it. I don't remember how I knew, found out about the twist, or maybe it was even marketed that way. I can't remember. but um, So there weren't really any surprises in it for me, but I agree. I thought it was really technically well made, and I thought um, watching it with Erica was a lot of fun because she gets very heavily involved in anything suspenseful, and this movie is pretty super suspenseful, and she was freaking out during most of the running time, which was very entertaining.
1: Yeah, 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 She, yeah, Erica would definitely be fun to watch this with for yeah. sure. Um, I watched Come Play. Have you heard about that?
0: I know of it. Um, I didn't want to spend the twenty dollars to rent it.
1: Yeah, you're fine. Like, I would wait until it's you know six bucks or whatever. But it's basically like the Let Me In to the Babadook's. Let the right the right one in. Yeah, it's that's what I heard. It's like the Babadook on a tablet, and <laughs> it's really well directed um I think it, it I got like a kind of an Amblin type of vibe from it so I would definitely be interested in watching this director's next movie um the performances are okay like the kid actor is really good um, he's the son from marriage story um Gillian Jacobs who I like a lot is kind of a weird choice for concerned mother in like the Shelly Duval role <laughs> um she just seems... Like you're it, I don't know like i I just kind of think of her as like a comedic actor first, right. so right. um I don't know i that did but that performance didn't entirely work for me but and like also, this is one of those movies where they discover that there's this supernatural entity, but it doesn't have a library research scene, and I feel like that's a big mess.
0: <laughs> you are a sucker for a library research scene.
1: You need them. You need them in your Slender Man. You need them in your Bye Bye Man. You needed them in Come Play. I'm sorry. Um, And then the last thing was I watched Mank, and I like it, but I think I like it because it doesn't do anything wrong, and I know I'm supposed to like it more than I like it. Um, I think it gets interesting once the movie sort of settles into focus. Um, It's probably not in my top half david fincher movies but i thought it was good and i kind of had a weird problem while i was watching it where i was i i just wanted to turn it off and watch citizen kane already because <laughs> it t- it made me interested in in watching that but um it's it's fine i just you know don't know how often i'll go back to
0: it i also watched mank that was the movie that we prioritized over freaky on friday night and uh You like it way more than I do. It's maybe my least favorite David Fincher movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really like anything about it. I came away, I I went into it expecting to learn something about the making of Citizen Kane. And I didn't really learn much of anything, which is fine if that's not what the movie's goal was. Um, It was one of those movies where like... Everyone's name-dropping all the time, just so you know who all the characters are. Hey, Louis B. Mayer! What's that, David O. Selznick? Hey, Mank! Come talk to Irving Thalberg over here! Uh, Everyone is constantly saying each other's names so that you know which important figure in Hollywood history they are. Uh, I thought the Gary Oldman performance was alarmingly one note I thought the dialogue was kind of bad. Like maybe David Fincher's father, may he rest in peace. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but like maybe he didn't write a great screenplay. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the black and white photography, which should have been a high point of the movie, I didn't think had enough contrast to it or something. It just was kind of murky. And I was, I, I, Mm -hmm. I wanted the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross score to be better instead it was just very pervasive like their score throughout this entire movie and it's just constantly like bouncing along uh it's not a seinfeld episode i don't know why i chose to do the theme from seinfeld (laughs) as their score i regret it uh but it was it just bounces more wings (laughs) it is it is um yeah i don't have much good i can say about it except that like i was already a subscriber to netflix so it didn't cost (laughs) me anything to watch it
1: yeah i i don't have like a huge tv like i have like a 46 inch tv i think and i kept thinking that maybe this was one where seeing in a theater would have been better because i felt just visually sort of distant from it it was just very widescreeny if that makes sense and like everything like there wasn't enough close up and medium shots it was just felt like I don't know I I, I felt very distant from the movie just visually and kind of
0: emotionally I'm a sucker for like a Hollywood history movie and for this one to leave me as cold as it did was surprising and I like David Fincher I wouldn't I don't worship at the altar of David Fincher like some movie fans I know do Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's kind of hit or miss for me, you know, like, I don't, I like the game. I don't love the game. I'm not crazy about Alien 3. I know that one doesn't really count. Didn't like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Didn't like Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Like, he probably, for me, has as many misses as he does hits. When he hits, he hits really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, His his really great movies remain really great, but he's not infallible. And Mank, for me, ranks, I think, at the bottom.
1: Yeah, I think I would put, put it above Benjamin Button, but that's about it. Um, I, yeah, it's, uh,
0: Zodiac seven and social network. Those are the ones that keep me coming back. Yeah. I'll ah, even, I'll wow. even throw gone girl in there, which is a problematic movie mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, but I find it like hypnotically watchable and fascinating in its yeah. problematicness. Yeah. Um, and once upon a time, I would have said Fight Club, but I've, you know, I think you and I have both kind of outgrown that movie.
1: Yeah. The balloon is a bit off the rails on that <laughs> Right. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, well, so, yeah, Mank was not great for me. Um, but,
1: of course, it'll win, like, a bunch of Oscars, because what else is going to happen?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, what else is going to win Oscars this year, you know? I don't know what the Oscars are going to look like. Um mm-hmm. I also watched The New Castle Freak, which showed up on Shudder last week. Um, You know, I was excited to see this. Once upon a time, Erica and I were going to go to, not Knoxville, what's the other? Charles
1: Fans Castle?
0: What's the other film festival in Tennessee? What? Chattanooga. We were going to go to the Chattanooga Film Festival back in, like, April. This was pre-pandemic, and then the pandemic happened, and obviously we canceled our plans, and the festival ended up getting canceled itself or they moved to kind of a virtual film festival and castle freak did not screen as part of that, but it was originally slated to have its premiere at the Chattanooga film fest. And I was very excited to see it back then. Um, boy, it would have been interesting to see under those circumstances. Cause I could just imagine the air getting sucked out of the room as the movie played, because it is not very good. Um, no, It takes away one of the most interesting elements of the original, which is the idea of this marriage that's falling apart. You know, in the original, Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton both giving, I think, two of their best performances, play a married couple who have an accident and their daughter is blinded as a result. And a lot of the movie is sort of about the aftermath of that accident and what it does to their relationships. And this movie does feature uh, a young woman who is blinded, but it's like she's in a car accident with her boyfriend. She stays with the boyfriend. They never really talk about it. She doesn't blame him for it. Um, She inherits a castle, and there happens to be a freak in the castle. Uh, There's some okay gore, if that's what you're into. Um, There's one of the most ridiculous sex scenes I've seen in a movie in a long time. If that's a selling point, um,
1: oh, I've been waiting for that since Red Sparrow,
0: so. <laughs> that, which I still haven't seen. By the way, you what had kind your of
1: chance on pre-f this movie fest Eve?
0: I know we couldn't go that year, and the fact that I didn't see it opening night means I've never seen it.
1: That that could have been the last Jennifer Lawrence movie you'll ever
0: see in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Shit. What kind of Francis Lawrence completist am I?
1: Not a good one, no,
0: I am not. Um, right. so Castle Freak is not great. I can't recommend that anybody watch it.
1: who's from the original or who who's involved in this one from the original
0: anybody? Barbara Crampton is a producer. Oh, okay, does Charles she make a, an appearance? Um, I thought I saw on Twitter that she has a cameo, but I missed it like it had to be like on a TV at some point or like some real quick throwaway thing because I did not see her in the movie. Yeah, uh and Charles Band is a producer.
1: I don't think I could watch it because like I feel like I'm cheating on Stuart Gordon.
0: Yeah, you're fine. I mean yeah. the original exists and is very good. Yeah. And I recommend if you haven't seen the original Castle Freak, seek that one out. I think it's also on Shudder. Uh so just watch that one and maybe skip the new one. Um I watched a Sidney Pollock movie from 1974 called the Yakuza. Have you ever seen it?
1: I've heard of it. I, uh, I know the new Beverly played it like a year or two ago, but I, I never watched it.
0: I've had it on Blu-ray for a couple of years and there was like a throwaway mention of it on a recent episode of we hate movies. I think they were talking about the firm and they were talking about Sidney Pollock movies. And one of the hosts said, Oh, if you've never seen it, the Yakuza is a really solid Sidney Pollock movie. And I don't always love Sidney Pollock as a director, but it reminded me that I had this movie of his that I wanted to see that I had never seen. So I put it on, and it's really, really good. Uh, Robert Mitchum plays a guy who's called back to Japan to help out an old war buddy uh, who says his daughter has been kidnapped by the Yakuza because he owes them a bunch of money, and can you help out? And so Robert Mitchum and a couple guys go in to rescue this daughter, and then shit starts to go sideways basically with the Japanese mob. And it's really good. Uh, Robert Mitchum gives a really good sort of older performance. You know, obviously this was made in 74. So Mm -hmm. he's getting up there. He would live another 20 years or so, I think. Um, But it's, you know, this is around like Friends of Eddie Coyle, that, that period in his career. And he's really, really good in it. Um it's written by Paul Schrader and Robert Towne, so that is reason enough to see it, I think. Um yeah. really really solid. I recommend it.
1: Sounds good. Yeah, I uh I'm on a Robert Mitchum high right now because of rewatching Holiday Affair, where he's just the biggest badass ever. He's like,
0: <laughs> That movie he's like rules
1: ruleskin of like romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> just does whatever he wants.
0: And he seems, like, so sort of disinterested about being in that movie, but it works for the character so well.
1: Yeah, like, he's definitely, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, like, who is this guy? And, like, you just usually don't get that in, like, a romantic comedy where he he, he just seems like he's got you know, seven movies before holiday affair. And now he's in holiday affair. Like, did, it's like the man with no name showed up in a romantic comedy.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, that, I really like that movie.
1: It's really good. Yeah. yeah.
0: I want to say one of us programmed that for our, that was you. Was that I, me? I
1: found out about it from you. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: I wonder what I programmed yeah. it with.
1: I don't remember. It was one of the Christmas week.
0: Yeah. I'd have to uh, go back feature. and listen. Yeah. Yeah. Two years ago, maybe, for those of you who don't know what we're referring to, like two years ago, you'd have to go back. We did uh, 31 nights of double features for the month of December. Adam and I both did it. So that's, what, 62 movies a piece, 124 yep. movies that we talked about. It was an epic episode, one of my favorite episodes of the show that we've ever done.
1: Yeah, it was really fun, and whenever movie theaters open up again and the New Beverly uh, opens, we should do another version of it. I'm Just into it. When the New Beverly reopens, yeah. we have to do the calendar show episode. <laughs>
0: um, the last movie I'll talk about, I won't say much about, because it doesn't come out, I don't think, for another couple of weeks, and because I don't know what to say about it. And that is a movie called Promising Young Woman, uh, which stars Carey Mulligan and Bo Burnham. It is written and directed by Emerald Fennell. I hope I'm saying that right, or Fennel. I don't know uh, which it is, who is a British filmmaker who's worked on a lot of, like, British TV, The Crown, and uh, she's an actress on... The Crown, and she was a writer on Killing Eve, so she works on a lot of British TV. Um, Wrote and directed this movie, Promising Young Woman. Carrie Mulligan stars as a young woman whose best friend was raped and is no longer alive, and Carrie Mulligan uh, and her friend, after that happened, they were both uh, in med school at the time. They dropped out of med school together, Carrie Mulligan is now just like working at this coffee shop, kind of looking at it from the outside, kind of wasting her potential. Um, but what she's actually doing is at night she goes out and pretends to be drunk and lets guys pick her up and take her home. And then she sort of exacts revenge on these guys who would rape her, you know, um, it is very well acted. It's very well made. I genuinely don't know how I feel about it. Because um, it it bummed me out in a huge, huge way. And some of that is intentional. And some of that, I think, is unintentional. Um, it has an amazing cast. It suffers a little bit from guest star, guest star syndrome, which is everybody who's in the movie is somebody and it's somebody who you're happy to see show up. So Clancy Brown and Jennifer Coolidge play her parents and Alison Brie comes in and does a scene and Alfred Molina comes in and does a scene and Adam Brody does a scene. And, um, the only sort of constants are her and Bo Burnham. They get a lot of scenes together, but it's, it's a, it's a little bit distracting because every time a new actor shows up, you're like, Oh, they're so-and-so instead of being involved in the story. um, I don't know if I can recommend it. (laughs) I I don't think I would, honestly. Oh, okay. Um, Rob has a piece on it. That's going to run later this week. You guys can read it and kind of make up your own minds, but I don't think I'm recommending it and I don't even want to talk about why. And you know, once the movie comes out, there will be a million think pieces on this Mm -hmm. movie. And I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, and I'm sure plenty of people will tell me I'm wrong for having the opinion that I have. But it was a real fucking bummer. You know? Yeah. So. so that's it for me. Okay. Um, boiler Room? Let's talk Boiler Room, celebrating its 20th anniversary this yeah, year. Yeah, you it, <laughs> Um, Boiler Room is a movie that I know both you and I are big fans of, and I remember going to see it opening night. I had to work, and then I had plans to go see a double feature of Boiler Room and The Whole Nine Yards, but it was a snowstorm, so it took me two hours to get from work to the movie theater, and yet I completely forgot about that miserable commute because I got to see Boiler Room and The Whole Nine Yards as a double feature. And that was a really solid night at the movies.
1: Your excursion to the theater to see boiler room was better than mine. I was in high school. I was, it was a, my senior year and I was living uh, like a King because I was finally 17 and could get into R rated movies without having to worry about being carded. And um, I saw it on a double date with, uh, my girlfriend at the time and my friend and his girlfriend, and we went to Olive Garden for dinner first. And then we were going to go to see Boiler Room. And then at Olive Garden, I got the worst tension headache from my jaw. Oh. And then I realized later that I had TMJ. So I never saw Boiler Room in theaters.
0: Wow. Yeah. How does one get TMJ?
1: Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh no! The never-ending Pasticini gave me TMJ.
1: Yeah, remember when you're touring Italy, take breaks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I don't know. I just like out of nowhere, and it just left. Like as soon as I got it, like I had it for maybe like a month or two, and then that was it. That was my history with TMJ. But um, yeah, I ended up watching it. I think. I think i was still working at blockbuster it was like the summer before i went away to college came out on rental and then i watched it just like over and over and over and over again like it really like scratched my high school itch so um uh yeah and at the time i had a lot of things happening that sort of were crossovers of like kind of what was going on in boiler room in a weird way so like in high school we played like the stock market game and like you had to team up with like another one of your classmates. And I remember me and my classmate will like, for whatever reason we decided to invest all of our money in penny stocks. So (laughs) um, like that kind of was a thing. And I remember like we were so happy because we had like 66,000 shares of Malaysian gold and it (laughs) went up from like three cents a share to like five cents. And we were like, look at all these idiots. (laughs) Um, so there was that and then like it was also around the time where like i was in like the throes of douche bro culture because of like i was joining Trinity my freshman year of college and one of my high school jobs was to work at this company which i won't name because i think they're still around <laughs> but it was basically like a telemarketing company and they would give you leads and then they would like hang over you and like just basically like reprimand you for not being awesome on the phone the whole point was to be, like, setting up meetings for your consultant. And then you would get, like, basically rips for, like, setting up meetings. And they would always give you, like, the bullshit, like, act as if type of mantras and things like that. <laughs> and it was just really weird. So um, there's a passage in Roger Ebert's Great Movies article about... Boiler Oh.
0: Um,
1: But he's talking about, he's trying to deduce, like, why Saturday Night Fever is Gene Siskel's favorite movie. And Roger Ebert mentions, he thinks that what it was for Gene Siskel was that it was what La Dolce Vita was to Roger Ebert. And he says, the first time I saw La Dolce Vita, it represented everything I hoped to attain. Ten years later, it represented a version of what I was trapped in. And ten years after that, it represented what I had escaped from. So I think for me, Boiler Room, part of my enjoyment of it is I've seen it from the ground level, and thank God I'm not in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, quite the indictment of douche culture many years before The Wolf of Wall Street. I was yeah. watching it today with Erica, who is also a big fan of the movie, and uh, she said, like, why why does everybody learn the wrong lesson from these movies? You know, because Wolf of wall street, there is a come down boiler room. There is a come down. And yet you would swear that the people that worship at the altar of these movies, which is the, I think the second time I've used that expression in this podcast, uh, they don't bother to watch the second half of the movie where it all goes to shit. It's all just the first half where like you're living this debaucherous douche bro lifestyle. Uh, and they get so excited by that that they shut the movie off halfway and run out and, you know, date rape somebody or uh, or sign up to work at some shitty stock firm, you know? Yeah, I I don't even think it's as innocent as they learn
1: the wrong lessons from it because they shut it off halfway through. I think they learn the wrong lessons because it's like, but I would get away with it because I'm smart. Oh, yikes. I think it's even worse than that. And um, another thing, like, this was kind of a similarity with me and, like, the fraternity thing with this was um, when this movie uh, came out on a video, obviously it was, like, being passed around my frat house. Like, it was just, like, it, it, was, it was like the Frampton comes alive
0: of its time.
1: <laughs> um and people would have like posters, like there was a couple of guys who had posters up and it was like on the poster, it's like all of them dressed up, um, all the boiler room cast and it would say like, welcome to the new American dream and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, also like, there was such a thing for me during that time period where it was like you were, I was being told who I needed to look up to. And you just have to accept it in order to fit in. Otherwise, you're completely ostracized. And I get that vibe so much from Boiler Room. And it's so interesting to me that um, the Wolf of Wall Street line always sticks in my mind where it was like DiCaprio says, um, he justifies it as like he's like, I'm stealing money from these people because I know how to spend it better than they do. Right. And For whatever reason that I think it's interesting in Boiler Room, like these guys get all this money, but they still are drinking Ice House beer and Miller High Life. And like they go to Ben Affleck's house and he's wearing like a hustler hat with a Trojan (laughs) condoms T-shirt and like there's nothing classy about any of these guys at all. And I find that really interesting kind of as a juxtaposition to Wolf of Wall Street.
0: Well, the movie kind of hammers the point home, like on three separate occasions where they run into people when they're out drinking Yeah, scene after scene. We, we watch them get into altercations with other people at restaurants or bars or something. And we're reminded of just how tacky and crass they are. Wolf of Wall Street sort of, (sighs) is so much more over the top in terms of mm-hmm. what you see in terms of the drugs and the sex and just the insanity at that firm where they're, you know, launching little people across the office and doing all these having these crazy parties and shit but like Wolf of Wall Street you also get to see Jordan Belfort like living the lifestyle yeah and so there's something I guess you could say seductive about that. Look at his house, look at his wife, look at his car, look at his boat. Um, no one in this movie ever does. Even Ben Affleck's house, as you pointed out, is unfurnished, you know, and they call attention. Like, did he just move in? Oh no. He's lived here for six months. Um, Like Vin Diesel lives with his mother. Right. So, so he's a multimillionaire. So and it's everything. just the promise of success And there's something that's so American dream about that, because, you know, I don't want to get too deep into like any kind of politics or anything. But I'm constantly wondering why half the country votes against its own interests, why they are, you know, lower middle class to literally literally like poverty and still voting for the Republican Party that has no interest in helping them out, that has no interest in social programs or economic programs that will benefit them, this party that's only interested in securing and increasing its own wealth. Um, and it's it's the promise of the American dream. It's like, well, I look at those guys and they made it rich, so maybe I will too, And that's why I vote against my own interests. And that's sort of the mentality here uh, in boiler room. This idea that like, I'm not living that life, but maybe I will. Therefore, I will sell my soul for the promise of living that dream.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, not to be too pointed with like politics, but I think there's also an element of these guys, you know, a lot of the guys that they, or all the guys that they get in boiler room to work at JT Marlin are younger, like college age or just postgraduate. And um, they've never, you know, passed their series seven exams. So they're, they're just these empty vessels just waiting to be filled by anyone. And like, I feel like that um, Giovanni Ribisi kind of represents that too, where, you know, his whole, you know, life is, in reaction to his father's acceptance. So, um, you know, there's there was no thought put into, like, what do I want my life to be? It's just sort of what sounds good and what is, wh- who's going to lead me there. Like, I, one thing that I keep, like, I love the Affleck speeches because they're just so entertainingly written and he performs them well. Um, but, like, one line in there I think is just so interesting where he's, like, pick your ass up out of that Italian leather chair. Like, he makes a point to say, like, it's Mm -hmm. an Italian leather chair. And it's, like, he probably doesn't even know if that, like, means anything good, but it's just, like, a classy, like, or, like, faux classy thing to say. Right. And he probably heard it from someone else. And I feel like that's kind of what, you know, a lot of it is, is just these guys, yeah, they've got greed and ambition, but they've got no sense of you know, doing it in an honest way at all. They just wanted an easy button.
0: Well, in the same way that there was all this controversy when Wolf of Wall Street came out, because so many people said that Martin Scorsese glorifies Jordan Belfort's lifestyle, um, yeah. that the movie is this glorification of of what he did to people and how he lived. And, you know, it's like, you have to remind people that depiction does not equal endorsement, but for a lot of people, yes, it did glorify his lifestyle, but that's not a Martin Scorsese problem. That's a them problem because we see it in boiler room. Um, It's, it's your friends in college who have the posters for boiler room up on their wall, or it's the characters in this movie watching wall street memorizing all of gordon gecko's dialogue without acknowledging that gordon gecko is the villain of that movie Mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah he's like
1: an an, not even an anti-hero to them he's just the hero yeah it's pretty it's really sad but uh yeah i don't know there's so one thing that i wrestle with with this movie is i think it works genuinely as a drama. And I think that it's, it's got an interesting story and a good, a lot of good performances. Um, But I do think that part of my enjoyment of it is very much on an ironic level. And I kind of go back and forth with that because I don't want to be the guy who enjoys things on an ironic level, but I think that the over the topness in certain degrees of like some of the performances lends itself to me enjoying them more than I would if it was just kind of, you know, a straightforward, like, margin call or arbitrage type of (laughs) action job. Um, I know, like, you and I have joked about, like, you know, the big speech (laughs) that Rabisi
0: has. (laughs) I'm good
1: at what I do, Dad. I'm good at what I do. Like, And I think, like, his performance in this movie, like, elevates it. To a Joey King and Wish Upon level for me, <laughs> and I'm embarrassed by that a little bit. But like, I have to be honest. I think like, just like these little weird quirks in the movie are the reason why I keep coming back to the movie more so than the sober, you know, exploration of you know toxic masculinity. Right.
0: Well, Giovanni Ribisi like is more or less playing it straight in this movie, and he's not really a guy that you call when you want something played straight. Yeah. So it's a little weird to see him uh, playing more or less a normal character. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the supporting cast is like a murderer's row of young Hollywood in the year 2000. Uh, Scott Kahn, of course, didn't know that there were cameras. He was just being oh. Scott Kahn.
1: yeah. You mean body slamming people at bars? He had no idea he was in a movie. He just was out. (laughs) Speaking of um, no idea he was in a movie, if you go on eBay right now, you can buy Scott Kahn's suit from this movie for (laughs) $1,500.
0: Worth it. Yeah. As long as you wear a boy's regular. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Let's talk about Nikki Cat because he's. Like fourth build in this movie on my DVD yeah. snap case, <laughs> it's yeah. Boiler Room, Giovanni Ribisi, Vin Diesel, Neil Long, Nicky Cat. I just <laughs> like. When, since when was Nicky Cat ever a selling point for a movie? Um, which is not to say anything disparaging about Nikki Cat. He's always good. I'm mm-hmm. just not positive he isn't that guy all the time because I've never seen him be anything but a total prick in a movie. And he does it really, really, really well. Uh, yeah. He's great in this movie at being yeah. just the biggest dick.
1: Yeah, I wrote down Nicky Cat's best performance question mark because I can't think of one that I like more than him in this. Like he's he's so this guy. Yes. And, um, although I do question his two rip license plate because it just
0: sounds like he farts a lot. <laughs> Um, I would argue that this is maybe also one of Vin Diesel's best performances. Yeah, he's um I
1: mean like you're supposed to say like, you know, him as Dom is peak coolness, but like this might be like near Peak Coolness for him, because this was like when he was still doing, you know, really interesting character parts and it was and he was still kind of figuring out who he was as an actor. Right. And yeah, he's definitely like you don't watch him in this movie and think of him in the same way that you think of him when you watch bloodshot, like in this movie, you're just like, Whoa, this is like his Heath Ledger in the dark Knight type of thing where you sit up and pay attention because Ben Diesel's on the screen.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially at the time that it came out, it's like an actor who shows a bunch of promise who you want to see do more. And this comes out the same year, I believe as pitch black. So you see him doing two very different performances in two very different uh, but two really good movies, and you're like, oh, this Vin Diesel guy, he's going to do really interesting things. I can't wait to see where his career goes. And the next year, he does The Fast and the Furious. And I'm not saying it's all downhill from there because he still acted in other stuff. Um, I don't remember when Find Me Guilty came out, but it was probably a couple years after this. Yeah. Uh, he still, every once in a while, will stretch himself, but basically. He does Dom or Riddick or Triple X or Bloodshot. And it's all a variation on this one thing that he does. And it's like the least interesting thing that he does. And Boiler Room reminds you, oh, he's capable of having a different kind of energy. He's capable of smiling. He's capable of being really likable. He doesn't have to be cool all the time, uh, which is kind of where he is now, I think.
1: Yeah, there's something, like, really appealing to his just kind of regular guy in this movie. Yeah. Where he's very recognizable as, like, he's probably the guy who was, like, a jock in high school, but was, like, the nice jock.
0: Right, right.
1: uh, Yeah, I I like it. I do find it funny that, um, you know, this is a movie where they say, you know, it's a contact sport. You gotta, like, you know, make calls, pound the phones and everything like that. But then when Vin Diesel gets on speakerphone the entire office stops. <laughs> like nobody like nobody says hold on one second I'm I gotta, you know, can you wait a second? I I'm going to put you on hold. Like no, they just dead stop to listen to Vin Diesel close this one guy, this one guy. That's how magnetic he is. He was. He was. <laughs> um I believe that more than I believe Tom Everett Scott as Jordan Belfort.
0: Yes, that is a bit of miscasting. And I love Tom Everett Scott
1: because,
0: you know, American Werewolf in Paris, obviously. (laughs) Uh, But he is... It's fun to see him in this movie, but he's miscast because, yeah, you don't buy him as the guy that all of these guys are going to go into battle for.
1: No, I I would buy him more as Giovanni Ribisi's character uh-huh like he's the guy who you know wants to fit to fit in but then like is the moral conscience of the movie like right. that's Tom Everett Scott right. but yeah they're like he's the salesman among salesmen and <laughs> no that, and I'm just like I don't see that at all and then yeah. um what do you think is the better line he could sell bubble gum in the lock jar ward at Bellevue too wordy or Tommy Boy's he could sell a ketchup popsicle to a lady white gloves.
0: I like the white gloves line better. I do too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because yeah. then you got to know where Bellevue is. Is there you a lockjaw ward? You got to know their bubblegum bubble situation. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, I don't know. Um, what do you think of the Jamie Kennedy performance? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like most of the work is done by his mustache. Yeah. yeah, he definitely has the Inspector Clouseau look. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's fine. He's just another color, you know, in the yeah. in the crayon box. Uh, and he's fine. It's nice to see him taking these kinds of supporting character parts, uh, especially around this time. But uh, there's not much about his performance that's especially memorable.
1: Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Like, I always just, like, get a goofy grin on my face when he shows up in this movie. Cause... yeah. Yeah, him and Scott on it's just like, yeah, they're like the bottom Skittles in the bag. Right, like, exactly. You still eat it. So. <laughs> um, do, you, do you have much history with Ben Younger as a director other than Boiler Room?
0: Like, have you seen Prime or Bleed for the I haven't. I, I, I watched this movie and I think to myself, how come he didn't make more movies? And I knew that he had made Prime, which I never saw. Hmm. But it was a long time, I think, before he made Prime, right? It was five years. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so that kind of surprised me, and I didn't see Bleed for This. Bleed for This I don't like much. It's sort of like,
1: it's like if Rocky, or say like Creed is gold, and Southpaw is like silver, and Bleed for This is bronze. It's like if you're going to go for a boxing movie, you just can do so much better. Okay. Okay. Um, but prime is actually really good. I liked prime a lot. I only saw it once, like when it came out on DVD, but I do remember thinking that it was like really cute, romantic comedy.
0: Yeah. I would like to see it. Um, cause just, I like the cast and I am interested in seeing more Ben younger because I really like boiler room. I think it's a really promising debut, you know? Um, and it surprised me that he didn't, do more stuff. Even to this day, he's only made three movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. Boiler room is not perfect. Uh, Some of the voiceover I could do without, uh, Mm. especially the voiceover. That's like, so on the nose where Giovanni Ribisi literally says something like the money was fine, but what I really wanted was my dad's respect or something like that. It's like, no, we get that. We can infer your motivations, we can we can read the subtext. You don't have to come right out and say it.
1: My favorite voiceover bit is near the beginning when he goes to the J.T. Marlin office for the first time. And he, within like four sentences, he goes, this place was an hour from Wall Street. This place was an hour from the New York Stock Exchange. I'm like, how did you not catch that?
0: <laughs> um, and I think the Nia Long stuff is... It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. It's a complete missed opportunity. Um, yeah. I don't, the character really doesn't belong in the movie. It's like, you would think that she would be in here so that we could experience what it's like to navigate this world as a woman. What, what, it, what it would be like to navigate this world as a black woman. Um, mm-hmm. But aside from like, how many secretaries do you know that make $80,000 a year or whatever? I don't think we really know anything about her as a person. She sort of exists as a, not even as a cipher. She's just the She's thing like that, yeah, she kind of, you know, I guess drives a wedge between him and Nikki cat, but that was inevitable because Nikki cat can't get along with anyone. Yeah.
1: And then she sets up a whole third
0: act, you know, FBI thing. But even without her, if you take her out of that, nothing changes.
1: Yeah. one thing that I don't buy at all is the relationship between Rubisi and Long. Like not that the two of them would not would date in real life. Like I think that, that whatever, but like every date they go on, it's just him talking about his bad relationship with his dad. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like patiently listening. Yeah. And it's like, don't you want to have fun? <laughs> want like, talk about something like enjoyable. It's
0: like a therapy session more than like a relationship. It's real weird. <laughs> um Yeah. I feel the the longer the movie goes on, the less useful she becomes to the story, you know, because again, if you remove her from all the FBI stuff, nothing changes. Yeah. Um Because they go after Giovanni Ribisi essentially without her they set up him and his dad without her. So she becomes just kind of, uh, unnecessary. And that's a shame because I think you had in that, in, in, in that character, a chance to really explore a different side of this story. And maybe there just wasn't room for it, but then I think you probably should have cut the character altogether.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, do you like financial or like stock market dramas in general?
0: I don't know how many I've seen. I know I saw Margin Call. I never saw Arbitrage. Um, I mean, Wall Street's okay. It's been a number of years since I saw it. Obviously, I really love Wolf of Wall Street.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm always like really drawn to these movies. I almost watched The Billionaire Boys Club. <laughs> Interesting. But I didn't because it's Ansel Elgord and he's weird. So I don't want to watch any more
0: of his stuff. No. Just but, wait till uh, West Side Story. Yeah,
1: that's probably, yeah. I'll I'll definitely see that at home.
0: <laughs> Will that be on Disney Plus? Is that a Fox movie?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard that they're doing like an investor call this week. And I'm guessing they're, my gut feeling is that they're going to say like, hey, everything is going to be on Disney Plus. Just sort of like how Warner Brothers did with HBO Max. Yeah. So we'll see. but yeah that's that was a Fox movie
0: that's what I thought um, yeah. do you think they're going to do what they did for Mulan in terms of dropping stuff on Disney Plus like where it's available at a premium or is it just going to be like here's Black Widow if you're a subscriber
1: I think they're going to do the subscriber thing because I think they got burned on Mulan with like the court of public opinion with people being mad about it being $30 so um, I don't know I hope I hope that's the case because Mulan was definitely the angriest I was all year just because I spent thirty dollars yeah. movie that's less than nothing.
0: <laughs> I saw that it's now available just on Disney Plus, so I plan to watch it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the animated Mulan, so like this was a, more so than most of the live action versions of their animated movies. This was one that kind of really bummed me out because I think it misses the point of so much of what made the animated one work.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, so. I've only seen the animated one once and it was like opening night in 1998 or whatever year that was.
1: Yeah. yeah, I remember it came out the same day as X-Files and my friends wanted to see X-Files and I had to sit and watch it even though like I'd never seen an episode of the show and mm-hmm. I was very lost.
0: Yeah, that's understandable.
1: Yeah, that wasn't fun. I should have just <laughs> thought arbitrage. <laughs> arbitrage rules. I don't know what it is, but I have this weird thing with like being the last person alive who still enjoys Richard Gere (laughs) (laughs) drama. So like arbitrage and like, there was some movie he did that was like really good. And like, no one saw it. Like I literally saw it in an empty theater at Mark Sanderson. Oh, wow. Um, And I don't know. I joke with Rob that I I, like Richard Gere has the most difficult time of any white, handsome, successful man on earth. (laughs) Like he just, life is so hard for Richard. <laughs> <Peter>. <laughs> he has so many unforced errors. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Uh, so question for you, the FBI tells Giovanni Rubisi's character to copy the firm's records on a floppy disk.
0: Oh yeah. Is there enough space? I don't think so. I don't remember how floppy disks work really, but uh, I don't think so. I think you can have like one
1: Excel spreadsheet and maybe three <laughs> word docs on a floppy disk and then it's full.
0: Um, a lot of the FBI stuff didn't work for me either because it's so exposition heavy. You know, they exist yeah. just to say uh, really kind of ham-handed exposition. Did you happen to watch like the deleted scenes on the DVD?
1: I have before. Don't they have the alternate ending on there? Yes. Okay.
0: Uh, For those of you who are listening, who haven't seen it or don't have access to it, the alternate ending shows Giovanni Ribisi leaving the offices of why I can't think of the name of the JT Marlin, JT Marlin. Thank you. Um, And I think passing Taylor Nichols, who plays Harry Renard, uh, Mm -hmm. who's like the nice guy that he essentially bilks for his life savings. Um, who's approaching the offices with, like, a gun. Uh, He's going to go in and shoot everyone. And I think that got reshot to the new ending, which is Giovanni Ribisi leaving as the feds raid the place, which is a much better ending. The notion that this movie ends with Harry Renard murdering all of the characters that we've just spent the last two hours with is an insane one.
1: Yeah, I don't want to see Money Monster again, and that's what that would have turned into. I never yeah. saw
0: Money Monster, this, so that doesn't count as one of your financial dramas? It's probably the worst financial drama I've ever seen, because it's also <laughs> the hostage financial drama. I remember that, yeah. Yeah,
1: and I I have a major allergy to hostage movies. Oh. So with, except, there's exceptions, like Dog Day Afternoon is amazing, but like not many are ring my bell so to speak but um where does the negotiator rank i remember liking it when i saw it i haven't watched it since kevin spacey became christopher Plummer, but um <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I would revisit it at some point. Um, See, movies, the-
0: fucking movies, like all the money in the world. Every time I start to think like, boy, Ridley Scott rules. I remember something like all the money in the world. And I'm like, no, Ridley Scott is David Fincher where like yeah. his movies are either really great or they're all the money in the world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, it's funny to think back on, like, all the money in the world and be like, oh, yeah, that was a thing that happened one time. Mm-hmm. And, like, now 2020 is like, happened. And you're like, oh, yeah, that seems like 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, I was, just, like, I was on Netflix and, like, the screensaver part of Netflix came up and, like, they showed like a screenshot of some movie with Jake Lacey. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember when they were trying to make Jake Lacey a thing. And then 2020 happened. <laughs> Jake Lacey got
0: screwed by 2020 more than anyone.
1: It's like, we wasted so much time building up to <laughs> bona fides.
0: Obvious child. What a picture.
1: Love the Koopas. What a picture. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, I want to talk about Harry Renard because he's my favorite dope in any movie, I think, ever. Like, he's just like, yeah, sure, sounds good.
0: Yeah, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. So Uh, easily swayed. Yeah, he loves that flashy New Yorker on the phone. Well, he's got Uh,
0: Rubisi in his ear. How could he not?
1: And boy, does he. Um, one thing I want to talk about is kind of the phone acting by Giobani Rubisi in this movie. Yeah. Because he hunches himself like Igor. And the phones are bigger than his face.
0: <laughs> He's a small and man. I,
1: he is a small man. But like somebody on the set should have been like, we need to get smaller phones for Rubisi. It was like the year
0: 2000. Cordless. Phones were very big. No, but like get him a cordless. It's like <laughs> Cordless phones were very big in 2000. I mean, large. Damn. I mean, not popular. I mean, they were just large.
1: They covered his entire face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. It
1: was just distracting with me this time in a way that it wasn't before. But um Harry Renard, Taylor Nichols, is my favorite dope in movies because of two movies because of this. And then also, he's the guy who marries Ellie Sattler in Jurassic Park 3. And then. He, He can sense that the audience is like, oh, this asshole. And then he's just like, I'm going to go fuck off and you talk about dinosaurs. How about that? Yeah. 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 So. He becomes a dinosaur. He he
0: becomes a cuck to the dinosaurs. Yeah. Dino cuck.
1: Yeah. That's uh, my favorite Jake Lacey movie.
0: (laughs) What a picture. Wow. Dino -dino cuck. Um, What a picture.
1: (laughs) Did you I just saw your new dino
0: cook. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Lacey. <laughs> um, do you wish every movie had the new line remix at the beginning? Yeah. I feel like Lord of the Rings should have had it.
1: Bed of Roses should have had do, it with roses. Do do Yeah. yeah. This movie has definitely got the, you know, I'm the Jewish hip hop guy in New York thing. going. Oh
0: yeah. Big time.
1: Yeah. Where like all the guys wear the puffy jackets and they keep their hands in their pockets because they're street.
0: So. Um, the casual, like racism, homophobia. Yeah. yeah. Is that, Hey, look how despicable these guys are. Or is that it's the year 2000, we're still not getting called out for this 50,
1: 50. Okay. That's my take on it.
0: Um, the stuff where they're calling each other names, where like Vin Diesel says anti-Semitic stuff to Nikki cat and Nikki cat says anti-Italian stuff to Vin Diesel. It's like, Oh, I get it. That's their relationship. And they, they're just talking trash. You know, that's what guys do. That's what alpha males do. Um, but then when they get to the restaurant and they, are together, what's that they watch grand torino yeah, exactly and laugh and laugh god my audience laughed so much at that movie it was really uncomfortable mine did too yeah. um but then when we get to the restaurant and they start with the homophobic stuff i just was like well, i don't feel like this is him demonizing scott Kahn. i feel like this is just actual homophobia yeah i definitely think
1: that there's um, You know, young guy doesn't know that this isn't that this is wrong yet syndrome going on, too. So not to make excuses, but I definitely think, yeah, there's some kind of posturing going on more so than indictment. Yeah. Um, But
0: uh, Affleck doesn't do that, but he's got some awesome lines in this movie. He does. He clearly signed on because they wrote him a really good part and he got to work yeah. for two days. He's in the movie more than I remembered, because when he leaves that first meeting, mm-hmm. my memory of it as I was watching it today, and I just watched this movie maybe a year ago. But my memory as he left that first scene, I was like, and that's a wrap on Affleck. But then he shows up like four more times.
1: Yeah, no, I, I like him in this movie. And one thing I'm noticing from watching Bounce and Reindeer Games and The Way Back, like I've, I've watched a lot of Affleck stuff this year. <laughs> yeah, you did. Is... I think I really like Ben Affleck as an actor, like more than I thought before. Like, I think he's way better than Matt Damon if we're comparing those two.
0: Interesting. I think I think the best Matt Damon performance is still better than the best Ben Affleck performance. But if you're going to put them up against each other, like whose movie would you rather go see? I'd rather go see yeah. ben Affleck.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Because, like, yeah, the Matt Damon's last few things, like, with the Martian and Ford versus Ferrari, I'm just like, you're boring. And, like, Affleck, like, he, Affleck feels like he's just bearing it all out there for you. He's like, you know, this is who Ben Affleck is. And I find that so much more interesting.
0: Well, he had a, you know, like, right around this time, just after this he had a real kind of shitty run where he just yeah. was saying yes to the wrong movies. And Matt Damon was curating his career much more carefully. And mm-hmm. I think had the more respectable career and Ben Affleck became the joke after the, all the Jennifer Lopez stuff and Gigli and uh paycheck. And, you know, there was just a, a run of bad Affleck. Um,
1: I still have to watch Surviving Christmas. I'm glad you reminded me of that Affleck.
0: <laughs> Definitely saw it in a theater when it was released in October.
1: <laughs> I remember
0: that. <laughs> Which was a, a weird decision um, and didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember it too well now, but uh, I did not hate it. And Affleck was certainly going for it. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I would probably watch any movie that Ben Affleck is in and have, like, there's probably not many Afflecks that I've missed, but Matt Damon is very hit or miss for me.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way with him at this point. Um, even playing Jason
0: Bourne, I think I skipped the last one.
1: I saw the last one. I, I liked Jason Bourne more than most people did because I feel like it finally acknowledged that it's schlock and it's not like, classy espionage cinema, yeah. which I think he was hanging on to for, like, two movies too long. Um, but that was... The the Bourne series drove me crazy because that was, like, not just the choppy editing, but it also was, like, ushered in, like, a decade of control room bullshit, like... He for popped up on sure. The- so it's like,
0: fuck you. Yeah. It's like, Wesley Snipes never popped up on any grids because he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um... The only recent Affleck movies that I've missed are The Accountant, Mm -hmm. Runner Runner, and Company Men. I've seen the first two. I haven't seen Company Men yet. Otherwise, I've seen basically every Affleck movie, like, ever. (laughs)
1: So. That's awesome.
0: Even going back before his break in Goodwill Hunting, I've seen, you know, like Glory Days and School Ties and those kinds of movies. Um, How does it
1: feel to recognize that he's our generation, Robert Mitchum? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it feels pretty good. Do I need to see The Accountant, I guess, is my question.
1: I didn't like The Accountant. Runner Runner is like one of the movies where he's great, but the movie's terrible. Okay. Um, and then the Company Men, I don't know what it is. Isn't that Costner? Costner's my guy. I've missed a lot of Costner movies. For somebody who's my guy, like I haven't seen Criminal. I haven't seen the Company Man. I haven't seen the Highway men. I've got some catching up to do.
0: Shit, yeah, you do. I didn't know Gemma Arterton was in Runner Runner. It just shot to the top of my list. She doesn't have that Gretel glow. Oh well, then now it's back at the bottom. Yeah, sorry. Um, sorry. Right.
1: Um, yeah, the uh I don't know, I love Affleck when he's just like sliding the keys and he's like, What's up?
0: Yeah, right? And he's <laughs> like, I am liquid. <laughs> the what's up you could tell is total Affleck ad lib. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love when he's just
1: like, That's it, Skippy, pack your shit, let's go. <laughs> I, I'm just
0: a mark for calling people skippy. <laughs> Well, this is, I mean, this is essentially who O'Banion grows up to be, right?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. And um, Nikki
0: Cat is Nikki Cat grown up from Days and Confused.
1: Yeah. Did you hear that apparently Cole Hauser was named one of People Magazine's sexiest men alive this year? In 2020? Yeah, because I think he's on Yellowstone. Oh, wow. But I don't know. He must be doing something that, like, <laughs> I like he must be like Bo Laram-ing it up hard because like sexy and Call Hauser don't really.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you said Jake Lacey, that's one thing, but obviously, like, yeah, dino yeah. cuck Jake Lacey.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, and then after a week, they see Jake Lacey. Getting his ass kicked by Johnny English and Johnny English strikes again, <laughs> or getting his ass kicked by a giant gorilla and rampage, <laughs> <laughs> or getting his ass kicked by Kate Blanchett and Carol.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else about Boiler Room you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. Do you have like ten minutes? Because I have a list. <laughs> I do. Okay, good. All right. Um, we need to talk about the daily news subscription call scene.
0: Oh, I already get the times.
1: Yeah, that seems ridiculous because it's funny to me because once you get good at, like, telemarketing, that's totally a type of, like, posture you would have if somebody called you. <laughs> so I find that scene very funny. Um, I feel bad for Ron Rifkin in this movie because his poor son is, like, running an illegal backdoor casino as a junk band salesman. But I don't buy the fact that out of nowhere, he's just like, I feel bad for my son, so I'm going to help him
0: with an IPO. Right. Game. Let's, 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 uh, violate insider trading laws. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Don't I mind. that turn. I don't buy. I think it's yeah. much more interesting when, that is the last that they see of each other. You know, that scene that Ron Rifkin has that probably is the reason he signed on to do this movie Um, where he's like, I don't want to see you anymore. Don't come to the house. Don't don't call me. It's maybe more interesting if that's their last interaction, you know, because yeah. the redemption arc doesn't land, I don't think.
1: No, because it's over something like if it was like a car accident or something more dramatic than like I fell off my bike and broke my leg. Right. It just seems like so, I don't know, just kind of innocuous in a weird way. Um, uh, Do you think the movie would be better if you saw the FBI busting these guys? Because it sort of has like a real minimalist type of like talk over it and narration, but like never show it type of thing. And I think that's kind of a miss.
0: I, and my guess is that has to do with it being a reshoot. Um, assuming it's a reshoot, maybe they really did just shoot two different endings. I don't know. I don't know that they ever tested the movie with the Dino Cuck Assassin ending or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm okay with it. Um, because we know what is coming, you know, um, I, I'm okay with it.
1: Jake Lacey did not like the Tower of Babylon shooting style in Italy. No. 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 Um, I do like the part at near the beginning where Jamie Kennedy's like, who did that? Moshe? Fucking Moshe.
0: <laughs> that seems, again, there's little ad libs that, yeah. uh, that I really, really like. And I'm sure it was kind of a nightmare with all these guys. Sort of, at, you know, either just starting out or, you know, if in the case of Jamie Kennedy, almost at his peak, mm-hmm. um, because this is already post both screams, you know, uh, and it, I'm sure at times turned into kind of a dick measuring contest. Yeah, this was in prime knockaround guys mode. I wanted to make a joke about how this was a knockaround guys prequel, but then I remembered that it's not Giovanni Rabisi and knockaround guys, it's Seth Green, but they're a I little like bit. I like knockaround guys. I don't know why, but I do enjoy it. I would need to see it again. Um,
1: I like that Giovanni Rabisi's brother is like Martin Short as Clifford. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Clearly an adult actor playing a child yeah, yeah. he's just like you gotta be rich son. and then like, <laughs> Giovanni Ravisi
1: just starts cracking up and like it's sort of the character but you kind of feel like the actor just is... <laughs>
0: that, there's a great moment in that scene though where Ron Rifkin says like see he answered the question Yeah, it's like such he, he's so condescending he's such a prick in that moment it's so good yeah and,
1: yeah he does it at the diner too where he's just like relationship what are we dating <laughs> The w- he's, he's the, the
0: worst.
1: worst he's a real bad father um speaking of the parents though rubisi's mother's hot oh sure I gotta, I gotta say she's got the birdie look thing sure big fan um uh do you think because vin diesel goes on the run at the end of this movie yeah do you think chris is
0: really <laughs> he changes his name Toretto? to dominic Toretto? <laughs> that that stock exchange thing didn't work out. I'm going to steal DVD players.
1: And the whole like thing with his history with Letty and with Mia <laughs> is like just a lie. It's all like a lie.
0: <laughs> Letty was the only one who knew that he used to be Chris, but she got amnesia and she forgot.
1: Used to sell stocks, dumb.
0: <laughs> um I wrote out this.
1: There's no way of like organically putting this into the podcast, but I just I wrote a couple of Wishmaster lines. If you worked at J.T. Marlin, oh, I like it. Um, what if I were to sell you IPO of Pharaoh Tech <laughs> <laughs> and trade with trade with me? You will see gains everlasting. <laughs> um, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Wishmaster
0: working the phones. Uh, I want JT a movie Marlin. of Wishmaster working the phones. Jin T. Marlin
1: <laughs> He's like don't pitch the bitch unless it's
0: Alexandro <laughs> <laughs> I will pitch her away <laughs> Poor Wishmaster has to like get 40 people to sign before he can become his, a broker himself. Wishmaster like... yelling out Wrecko <laughs> <laughs> So demeaning I was a gin before this <laughs>
1: It's like, I granted 40 wishes. I'm not on my own now. <laughs> uh, do you think Boiler Room is better or worse than these New Line movies from 2000?
0: Oh my gosh, this is my favorite game. I God, I miss New Line so much. Me too. They're all on HBO Max. Enjoy them. Oh, very nice. I, um, you know, last time we did a new line movie. I don't remember what it was, but I said like, Oh, I wonder, cause I did an underrated new line of the nineties list once. And I said, I wonder if I could do an underrated new line of the two thousands. And I totally wrote half of it. I have my list. I just have to finish rewatching some of those other movies, but, uh, it's almost ready to go.
1: I cannot wait. Yeah. Cause you and I share the affinity for the new lines.
0: Yes. Um, okay.
1: Better or worse okay. than next Friday. Better. Final Destination. Better. Price of Glory. Jimmy Smith's. It's like a boxing movie.
0: Pass.
1: (laughs) Love and Basketball.
0: Ooh. Worse. Uh, Frequency. Shit. Despite who I want to be, I like the movie Frequency. Um, (laughs) But I definitely... (laughs) It's such a TNT movie, uh, yeah. but I definitely rewatch Boiler Room more. So, without taking anything away from Frequency, I'm going to say better. I just had a Jake Lacy fucking double feature. <laughs> All the talk, talk, talk. I love that.
1: Obvious child <laughs> and how <not> to be single. <laughs> um. Okay.
0: Boiler room or the cell? <sighs> I like the cell, but boiler room. It, uh, oof. Wait for it. Shit. I know where you land on this. Cause you're not a fan of the cell. No, I might like the cell better. Okay. I'm going to say the cell
1: um turn it up do you remember turn it up i
0: remember the title but i don't i never saw the movie
1: i forgot who was in it um jimmy (laughs) smiths no i will go back and watch (laughs) um by the way there's this boxing movie called strength and honor that like michael madsen was in it's never been released on video and i've been wanting to see it for like 13 years so i gotta find it madsen might
0: have a copy you could call him
1: yeah, as long as he does his McNulty impression, I will. Is he
0: it. on Cameo? You might just be able to get him to talk you through it. Oh, God. I got to
1: look up to see if he's on Cameo. All right. Um, you keep talking.
0: I'm going to look it up. Okay.
1: Um, uh, Faust, Love of the Damned, speaking of. I've Andrew seen Damned. that,
0: and it's that's a Brian Usna joint. Uh, yeah. Boiler Room is better.
1: Uh, boiler Room or Lost Souls.
0: Oh, my God. Boiler Room.
1: Boiler Room or Bamboozled bamboozled boiler room or the little vampire
0: <laughs> never saw the little vampire but uh i'm gonna say boiler room
1: boiler room or little Mickey. boiler room boiler room or dungeons and dragons
0: never saw dungeons and dragons
1: boiler room or state and main state Maine. boiler room or 13 days
0: never saw 13 days it's good. I know. It's like New Line's prestige movie.
1: Yeah. Not a great Costner, but it's a it, but like Stephen Culp and uh Bruce
0: Greenwood are pretty awesome in that movie. Yeah. Um God, I can't believe New Line had that many movies in one year. Yeah. No, they were churning them out. Um Michael Madsen does not do cameos for companies or recite dialogue from movies.
1: Oh, but he's on Cameo. But
0: he is on Cameo for $300. Yeah, that's a lot. So he won't Um. do lines from strength and honor, but he might talk you through the plot. Okay. So then I get into the ring with this guy. Yeah.
1: Did you ever see um, when the wrestler came out? And Mickey Rourke was doing the rounds and telling like the same story about like how he couldn't afford a bowl of spaghetti at spago. No. I, if he would do that on cameo. I would
0: say <laughs> Finding out if Mickey Rourke is on cameo. I just saw that Virginia Madsen is okay. Mickey Rourke does not appear to be.
1: Ugh, what yeah. That's opportunity there.
0: Yeah. That's a bummer. That's a fun game though. Is this person on cameo or not?
1: If Bruce Willis was on Cameo for $300, I'd be super tempted just to feel his open contempt live.
0: <laughs> He's going to be any day now. Yeah. There's... I'm
1: excited for Breach. Did you see the trailer for Breach?
0: I did not, because to me, there's only one Breach, and it's Ryan Philippi, baby.
1: That's a good one. That's a it movie. is
0: good. That was a movie I had no expectations for and came out of. Like, holy shit, that was a good movie.
1: Yeah, I remember around that time it was right when I moved into my first apartment and I was like, I, and my apartment is near like a movie theater. So like I could walk over there and I saw breach and I saw Zodiac and I'm like, man, living on my own just results in great movies. And then I saw the number 23 and I'm like, Oh, that streak
0: is broken." (laughs) What is new breach?
1: Um, it's like sort of alien. Um, but it's got him and Rachel Nichols and Thomas Jane.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: It looks schlocky in a good way. Okay. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Like, there's a part at the end of the trailer where he has a flamethrower, and he's like, who wants barbecue? And it's very (laughs) embarrassing, but funny.
0: Oh, it's got Johnny Messner in it. That means it was made by a red box.
1: (laughs) 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 All right. Um, if Boiler Room came out in 2020, what streaming service would it be on?
0: <sighs> Tubi. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, buh,
1: this feels like an Amazon Prime movie to me.
0: Okay. Yeah, I could for see that. <laughs> I could see it being an Amazon Prime joint. Yeah, yeah. Plus, they already got that relationship with Rabisi from uh, Sneaky Pete. This is true. Boiler
1: Room 2, colon, bigger rips.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the poster is just Nikki Cat's Ferrari.
1: <laughs> just every year he gets a new yellow Ferrari. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it did make me want to uh, rewatch Wolf of Wall Street.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I um, I was worried about the first time I went to see Boiler Room. I went back to watch Boiler Room again after watching Wolf of Wall Street for the first time. I was like, oh, well, that movie just makes this movie right like, completely pointless. But it's still it's still good. Because, yeah. Like you're getting a different perspective on the whole thing. Like instead of the time, Ever- instead of, you know, DiCaprio, it would have been Tom Everett Scott. I'm like, I don't want to see that movie
0: right it's wolf of wall street as told by right one of those weird guys that works for him
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah definitely um yeah no it's still good i mean this movie definitely walked so that wolf of wall street could run but uh they both have value
1: this is true uh
0: is that that it for boiler room that's it All right, cool. Well, thank you. Who would Jake
1: Lacey play in Boiler Room?
0: What's that? Who would Jake Lacey play in Boiler Room? (laughs) He'd be Tom Everett Scott, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be even less believable than Tom (laughs) Everett
0: Scott.
1: Let's follow Jake Lacey into the trenches.
0: (laughs) I would die for Jake
1: Lacey. One more to the bridge, Jake Lacey. (laughs) He is a dino
0: cuck. Um, anyway, this is a, a show that I'm guessing nobody was looking for a podcast on, but hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to it. Uh, yeah. It was sure fun to talk about.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, have a blessed week, everyone. Make big rips.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're getting into our year-end coverage pretty soon. We have our annual holiday episode coming up with me and Adam that I'm very excited about, and then we'll get into our underrated episode our best of 2020 episode which is going to be fascinating i'm excited for it uh so thanks again adam this was super fun yeah thank you bye guys thanks.